Good morning. I'm Josh Madison. Today we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 through 33. That can be found on page 815 in the Pew Bible. Matthew 10, verses 26 through 33. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who, can, who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value, value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever de- denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. Hey, guests and visitors, thanks for being here with us. We haven't met. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors, and uh, glad you're with us. I, I know to go from Ukraine to shootings and even a passage about fear feels pretty heavy, but I think it's an invitation from God to just be honest about where we find ourselves, and I want to just give you a chance. You got a chance to pray for people um, in our community, a chance to pray for people across the globe. would love for you just to pray for yourself for a moment. Uh, this morning, we get a chance to talk about what it means to fear God and how that reorients other fears that we might feel. So I wanted just to give you a chance to just quiet your heart for a second and maybe name, where are you? What, what is the fear that you have? What's the thing that you're worried about? And maybe would you ask God in his providence and care, because he sees you, he's particular about his love for you, um, that even if I don't use words that kind of describe the fear you have, that the Spirit would still speak to you about that. So I want to just pray over us, but let me just give you a second. Would you just bow your head one more time? Take a deep breath and then just ask God to speak to you about that place where you're really concerned. And maybe you would use words like fear or afraid or terror or undone. Maybe it feels more low grade, but would you ask God to speak to you this morning? And then I'll pray for us. Father, we sing that you're our refuge, so we rest in that. We also sang, come quickly, and we want to surrender to you in light of all the things that are going on in our world, and there's a lot of fear that we carry. Some we can name, some we just feel in our bodies, some, some we're told about in the news, but it's real, it's with us, we can't shake it, and I ask that you would speak to us this morning around that. And would you do what this passage says that we should do to actually replace and reorient smaller fears with this larger fear of you? And I realize that's a complicated thing to say out loud. So it's a a heavy thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a complicated thing. It's a life-changing thing. But would you do that work inside of us? And 
I feel the pressure of the limitations of just one morning talking about this. So Holy Spirit, would you use your word to plant seeds that go way deeper than what we talk about this morning? Would you speak to my brothers and sisters? Thank you for your word. Jesus, thanks for the ways that you taught your people that we can apply to ourselves. Help us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, so we are going to talk about fear. And you heard it a couple times as the passage was read. This is a sermon that Jesus is giving to his followers. So he's sending out his disciples on their first kind of journey. There's a a kind of a vocational calling in this. He says, I've got this authority. I'm giving you this authority. He's calling them to go somewhere and he's telling them what to do. So he's giving them a mission. He's saying, I want you to join me on my mission. And he's calling them to something. It's the way that God calls all of us to wherever we, wherever we are. So there's this calling part of this. And what Jesus is really doing in this section is, is focusing on identity for his followers. There's a, a group identity sort of thing that happens here where Jesus says, hey, this is who I am. And because of that, here's who you are. And because of that, here's what you should do. Here's what you should expect. Here's how you should react when you face things that are difficult. It's what a parent does with their children. This is what it means to be in our family. This is who we are. And so when, when you hit your little sister, we say, hey, we don't, we don't hit our family. We don't hit those that we love. You're, you're training group identity there. When you talk about being generous or being servants in your home, when you talk about we want to laugh, we want to play together, you're, you're creating identity in your family. And what Jesus is doing with his followers is really naming for them who they are and what it means to join him on his mission. So there's this deep thing that's happening to kind of shape all of Christ's followers, even though this is a very particular message to a very particular group of people. So we're jumping right in the middle. We actually took four weeks on what would have just taken a couple of minutes for Jesus to say as he's sending them out. And as we've kind of walked through, we're trying to slow down a little bit because it's about persecution, which is challenging for us. It's about the church being sent out, but expecting to face resistance. And so we've had to wrestle with a little bit of that in our culture, in our country. What do we do with places where we we feel fairly comfortable? And yet we can see on the horizon some places of persecution. And maybe you're actually feeling it right now in your jobs, depending on what industry you're in. But there is this thing about us that knows that we're vulnerable, that has an experience of fear. And Jesus is sending his people into really scary situations. And we just have said a couple of things. Like he doesn't tell them to go around that. He doesn't promise to deliver them from all of it. He actually promises to be with them in the middle of it. So look at them real quick in chapter 9. That's where he kind of frames things before he sends them out in chapter 10. So, so if you've not been with us, let me just kind of catch you up where we've been. End of chapter 9, it's on page 814 in Matthew. He, he just says, hey, I'm looking out over the people. I see them hurting and harassed. It moves compassion inside of him. And so he tells his followers to pray and to, to pray that God would send workers into the harvest field. This, this metaphor of a field where people are growing and there's, there's things that are happening. And he says, I want you to go out and I want you to encounter people there in my name. So he sends them out. He calls these 12 disciples we see at the beginning of chapter 10. And he really says, I want you to do what I've been doing. He's been casting out demons and healing the sick. And so he, he tells them to do that in verse 1 of chapter 10. He says he's going to give them the authority that he has over unclean spirits, over sickness, even over death. And he sends them out in verse five. He says, and don't go to the Gentiles first, go to the Jews first and teach the kingdom that is at hand. 
and heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers and, and cast out demons? Would you push back darkness the way I've been pushing back darkness, Jesus says to his followers? He's inviting us in this calling to join him in his mission. And so this is pretty like exciting, maybe. You would hear this and go, man, it's going to be pretty powerful. It'll be pretty potent to be in these spaces where we're, we're healing, we're casting out demons, we're seeing the, the kingdom advance. Before they get too excited, he says, hey, you're going to face lots of persecution. There'll be times where you're welcomed and you're invited into homes. There'll also be times where you're rejected. He tells them, as you go from town to town, just keep going until you find somebody who's receptive to the kingdom message. Stay there and teach it as long as you can. He comes down into where we were last week in verse 16, and he says, I'm sending you out in this world in a really dependent way. You're my followers with all of my authority, but I'm not sending you out as the ones who are on top. I'm sending you out like like sheep among wolves, he says. He tells his people there's a a design actually in the mission of God to be a dependent kind of person. And so he says, as you do that, you need some wisdom. Be wise like a serpent. You need innocence like a dove. So we're not asking to be manipulative, nor are we trying to be naive. We're trying to be honest about where we are, what we're bringing in the gospel message into a world that desperately needs to hear it. But he says, as you proclaim this, they're going to treat you like they treat me. And Jesus actually gets called the devil multiple times. He's actually doing miracles and setting people free. And the resistance is so strong, people say you're dangerous. You're you're like demonic. You shouldn't be here. We need to get rid of you. It's what sends him all the way to the cross. And he says to his followers, if that's what they've said about me, surely they're going to say that about you. So he's setting a group identity, not that we're awesome and amazing and everything you touch turns to gold. He's saying, I'm sending you out into the world the same way I came into the world, dependent, coming in humbly to serve, coming in vulnerable. But there's a kind of power in that, that God actually gets shown to be strong when we feel vulnerable. And he promises his presence with them in the middle of that. He says, when you're standing bearing witness before me in verse 18, and you're standing before governors and they're about to kill you, don't be afraid. I'll actually give you words to say by my spirit. So it's not that they won't kill you. It's not that you won't get in prison. It's not that you won't face hard things. It's, it's when you face them, I'm going to be there with you. And then he talks from that space into the rest of these fears. Now, if you're like being commissioned, this is like your, your offer letter for a job. You're going like, dang, this is a pretty intense offer letter. Hey, come with me and come and die. And we just stop and go, all joking aside, that actually is Jesus's invitation to us. And there's this reorienting that needs to happen around who God is and what his kingdom is for his followers. He's building an identity for his people to say, come and join me on this mission. But this mission is not about you having everything the world says you should have. It's actually about you pushing back darkness in this world. There's a war going on in that space. And I'm going to be with you in the middle of it. But there's a lot of things that might cause you to be afraid. And in that space, what Jesus does in this little section is just names some of those fears. Now, we have a complicated relationship with fear because fear is all over the place. I mean, I can't think of a day that you go through that you're not driven by fear. I mean, advertising is driven by fear. Some of your success is driven by fear. There's fears that you feel physically, but there's also a ton of like emotional and spiritual and relational kinds of fears. We are a very, very, very anxious people. And you might say, no, I'm not anxious. I just get home, crack a beer, and I'm fine. We're like, yeah, yeah, right. You crack a beer because you're so anxious. Like there is this pervasive anxiety that we all feel. Now, if you're in Ukraine today, it's really obvious what you should be afraid of. And as we pray for our brothers and sisters, like we're 
We're praying that God meets them there the way this passage promises that he would. And then there's a kind of chronic anxiety that you feel. Maybe you can't even like touch it or see it. There's nobody yelling at you. There's nothing that's physically threatening, but you just feel this drive inside like it's going to collapse at any moment, like you, you can't keep it up. Even if you've been super successful, normally you deal with this fear that you, you won't be able to maintain that. We have a really complicated relationship with fear. I think it runs our world. It drives our economy. Again, it's, it's all about our advertising. You don't have this. You're needing something. If you had this, it would fix the thing that you're afraid of. Your, your fear that you wouldn't be esteemed. Your fear that you wouldn't be comfortable. Your fear that you wouldn't have a future. All the things that you feel our ads tell us this is the solution to that. And I think it's so pervasive, we just kind of breathe that air. So it's helpful just to stop for a moment and go, man, what am I afraid of? And how do I think about those fears? And what would Jesus say about those? Let me, before we go any further, let's just see what he says about this. Look with me in verse 28 of chapter 10 in Matthew. He's going to name a couple of other fears, but I just want to drop this kind of main idea. He says, and don't fear those who can kill the body. Would you just stop and go like, that's fairly scary, Jesus. Like people that can kill the body, like I, I don't like look forward to those moments. Right? He says, don't, don't fear that. All they can do is kill the body, but they can't actually kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Tons of things about that verse that are not very popular to talk about today. One of which is there's an eternity separated from God that actually we face the torment and judgment of our own sins if we don't trust Jesus. That is the future of those who are outside the realm of Christ, which is why Jesus says, go into the world from a place of compassion and tell people what's going on so they could actually repent and turn and come into the kingdom. Because if they don't do that, they will face judgment and hell. So he just kind of slips that in the middle of this. And he says, actually, that should orient the way you think about your life. Because if someone can only kill the body, there's something much worse than that. They could actually destroy the body and soul. And no human has the power to do that. So Jesus is talking about God himself. Rather than fearing people who could only kill you, which is extreme. He says, you should stop and go only the one who can kill your body and your soul. That's the one that you should be afraid of. So when the Bible talks about fear, it talks about it lots of different ways. There's probably three or four major categories, but just get this major idea. The Bible's solution to fear is not fearlessness. It is a huge fear of who God is. It's a reorienting fear around the person and work and nature of your creator. And the idea is there's all these little things that you're afraid of. But if you would just stop long enough to recognize who God is and what he's like, how he made the world, where the world is going, what he's done for you, who he is in his power, how he exists in his nature, what he's taught you, what he's called you to, who he is. If you just stop and sit in that space and let that overwhelm you, it will reorient the rest of your fears. Fears of singleness, fears in your marriage, fears with your job. Those things are big, and the Bible doesn't ever minimize those fears. It just reorients them. So the solution is not be fearless. It's actually have this bigger fear of who God is, what he's like, what he promises, and what he calls you to. And not just to think about the temporal world, which the Bible is just so clear. We're only here for 70, 80, 90 years. And then we spend an eternity either with God or facing his judgment. That, that should be our focus. That should be the long game that we're playing. You talk about delayed gratification, like that's the deal where we're going to spend the rest of our existence. Think about that rather than the person who snubs you. How many likes you get on whatever post you're making. Whatever the thing is from middle school or high school that you've carried into your adulthood, that thing that you're so terrified of, Jesus says, hey, let that 
be reoriented. So that, that's a pretty massive idea. Jesus doesn't say, don't be afraid of anything. He says, as you're afraid, remember who God is and, and what he's like. So the Bible talks about fear a couple ways. There's a the kind of fear of man that it talks about, that we're told not to have. Don't be afraid of people. Don't be afraid of circumstances. Don't be afraid of what, of what could happen to you. And it's not that those don't matter or that they're not significant. It's just that they're not ultimate. And we had a sermon a couple months ago. Jimmy Dodds preached through lots of passages showing us that command is not just about sucking it up and being tough. He says, don't be afraid because I'm with you. Almost all of those commands, there's the promise of God being with you. So connect those two dots. Hey, it's not that you'd be fearless. You should fear God himself. So when you're facing things that are really scary, don't be afraid because the one who is the scariest, the one who is the most powerful, the one who actually stops you in your tracks and makes you shudder and worship at the same time, that one is with you, he says. So so there's a kind of fear the Bible talks about that is a fear of man or fear of situations that we're told not to fear. And then there's a kind of fear of God that we're also told not to have. There's a fear of God of like running away from him, being scared of him. It's what Adam feels in the garden after he sins. He's been in perfect relationship with God. They had this communal relationship where they were together. He sins and blows it. And then in fear, he goes and hides. It's the kind of fear that that a person feels in the presence of a holy God. Now, that's designed to actually bring you to God, but sometimes that fear is so overwhelming that people push away. So there's a fear of God that we're cautioned about, like almost a sinful fear of God saying, I don't trust you. I don't want to be around you. You're not reliable. You're not good. I only see you through this judgment lens, and therefore I don't want to be in your presence, and I push away. There's a kind of fear like that the Bible would caution us about. And then there's a kind of fear that we're told to have. He actually says we should cultivate this fear. We should sit in this fear. This fear stirs worship and it stirs perspective and it actually helps drive the way that we live. There's a fear of God, seeing him for who he really is, that actually reorients our lives in beautiful ways that will sustain you, that it will, it will reorient you, it will recalibrate you, it will protect you. It's the one who is the refuge that we sang about who actually holds the entire universe together. If you just stop for a moment and go, that is a terrifying being in the fullest sense of the word of all of his power, of all of what he's capable of. And if he wasn't a God of mercy, we would all be destroyed. And so the Bible tells the whole story of God throughout the scriptures, painting this picture of God who is at the same time both a God of wrath and a God of mercy, a God of justice and a God who forgives, a God who creates everything. Nothing exists without him, and then he enters into his creation in a way to come and redeem and rescue it. So we see this beautiful, powerful picture of God, and that's not minimized to say God is also a God of love. So we're not choosing being afraid of God or loving God. We're actually saying because of who he is, it draws me to want to love him. And so what Jesus is teaching his followers as he sends them out into this really scary situation is is a right kind of fear. Hey, I want you to have a right kind of fear as you step into what is a really scary world. Because as you do that, you need to know who God is and what it means for him to be with you. Here's what I want to do. I want to walk through just the five ways he says not to be afraid or to be afraid. Just name what those actually are, and then from that space, ask, what does it mean to actually fear the Lord? I want to just focus on, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Because the Bible says it's beautiful. 
The Bible even says it's the beginning of wisdom, that the fear of the Lord is actually how we get started in our relationship with him. And so if you are not afraid of God, that would address and adjust what you think about the world. Wisdom is how you should live in the world. And so if you don't have a framework for a creator who made you, who you're responsible to, who loves you and is with you and is for you, but that you give an account of your life to, if that God is not in your purview or on your radar, then you live a very different way. If you're just here by accident, if there's no purpose to your life, if, if life is just meant to kind of get what you want and it's the survival of those who have all the power, then that shapes what you think is wise and how you live. As is the driven fear of something else. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then the fear of something else also creates a kind of logic for you. So if you're the kind of person who fears being irrelevant, you're the kind of person who fears being forgotten, You're the kind of person who fears being alone. You're the kind of person who fears being unappreciated. You're the kind of person that fears being seen for your uniquenesses. You're the kind of person who fears that you're going to run out of whatever it is that you have that people want, and therefore you you hoard it as fast as you can. You're afraid that you can't hold the relationships together, and it's all about, about you. You can't accomplish enough, earn enough. You're the kind of person who's afraid of not having enough. You're afraid of your past catching up to you. You're afraid of disappointing your parents. You're afraid of disappointing your kids. Whatever it is that drives you, that creates a logic in you that helps make decisions for you. If you're afraid of being forgotten and obsolete and irrelevant, well, guess what? You'll do everything you can to get away from that fear. You will posture. You'll manipulate. You'll leverage. If you're really afraid of not being needed anymore, You'll put yourself in situations where where you insist on somebody being tied to you. If you're afraid that you're going to be like your old man, where you're never going to measure up, right? you're constantly shadow boxing the past in ways that you have to dominate that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of something else creates another kind of wisdom that then begins to drive you. And the Bible is incredibly helpful to be honest about those things and then help reorient them inside of our heart. So there's a lot of things that we're afraid of. I think Jesus names five things in this text that help both name some subcategories of fear for us, but also begin to put together a patchwork of how we should think about God. So what I want to do is name the fear and then kind of ask, how does Christ meet that? How does it actually point us to God? And from that space, we'll try to just ask, what does it mean to live in the fear of the Lord. So, so there's four in the text that we just read, but if we go up a couple of verses, we'll see the first time in this passage that he tells his people not to be afraid or not to be anxious. So look with me in verse 19. Chapter 10 of Matthew, verse 19. He, he's telling his people, this is who we are, this is how we're going to respond to what it means to be in these situations. And he says, you're going to stand before people And you're going to bear witness about who I am. And they have the power to take your life. And and when they deliver you over, he says, don't be anxious about how you're going to speak or what you're going to say. Because what you're going to say will actually be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So he says, don't be anxious when you find yourself in a spot where you're in a jam because you bore witness to me. And now you feel alone. You're standing there vulnerable and exposed. He says, don't be afraid because I'll be with you through the Spirit and I'll tell you what to say. And as we walked through this passage last week, we we saw Jesus' promises to be with them always. The new covenant promise that the Holy Spirit was going to come and, and live inside of us. This is a promise that in what is the most scariest spot for us, we're not actually alone. Which gives language to one of our biggest fears of simply being alone. It's up to you. It's your responsibility. You have to pull it off. 
You fear this being alone. And Jesus says, hey, in the scariest space, when you feel most vulnerable, exposed, don't be afraid because I'm going to be with you. I'll give you words to say through, through my spirit. He's actually inside of us, the scripture describes. He's, he's in us. He couldn't be more close to you. You're not alone because of who God is. Even though you feel afraid, even though there's lots of pressure from the outside, he says, don't be afraid because you're not actually alone. It reorients the fear we have because we fear being alone. All right, it goes on then in verse 26, and this is where we started our reading this morning. He says, so have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. For what I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. It's a fear that there's going to be injustice that happens to you that's going to go unpunished. It's a fear that you're going to be so vulnerable, bad things are going to happen and nobody's going to care or know. It's a fear that you're going to face injustices and God doesn't care about that. Now, to step inside this text is actually saying you are going to face injustices. There's going to be things that happen to you that are actually really painful, even going on to your family rejecting you, and you're actually facing harm. But it's not that those injustices are going to go unpunished. God actually sees them. The fear you have, this world is out of control. There's no moral order. Jesus speaks to you and says, don't have a fear there, because everything that happens is going to be revealed. It's a promise of God's justice. It's a promise of God getting his way. It's a promise of God paying for all the things that are wrong in this world. So to the fear that this world is chaotic and out of control, that I'm going to face injustices that I can't do anything about, Jesus says, oh, just know, nothing goes happening that doesn't get revealed. Everything that takes place is actually going to be given an account of God is a just God. And he says, and then in verse 28, and don't fear those who, again, can only kill the body. This is just a very simple, like, physical pain, which is a, for a lot of us, man. Like, there's things we feel as we age. There's things we feel that could happen to us. There's things we feel it would be a lack of something in our bodies or in our souls that would create a kind of anxiety and a kind of stress. He says, hey, don't fear those who can only kill the body. Don't feel the physical pain because there's something actually much bigger and deeper than that. If you're thinking of your subcategories, right, there's a fear of being alone, there's a fear of, of being out of control, and there's a fear of just pain and things happening to you that are going to be hard and difficult. He says, don't, don't be afraid in, in that space. And then he says, there's this fear of judgment. Let me just kind of take it from a different angle for a moment. He says, rather, in verse 28, rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Now, again, we said there's a couple kinds of fear of God. One is this frightening fear that makes us run away from him. And so maybe you feel like, man, I've done things to people. I've done things that no one has ever called me to account for. This passage just says everything I've done is going to be exposed. That means there'll be a day where I have to pay for what I've done, and that terrifies me. In that space, there's this fear of judgment. There's this guilt and shame that we carry that drives a lot of how we live our lives and how we relate to other people. And there's a promise of the gospel we could just kind of cut forward to the end of the book where Jesus dies in our place on the cross to pay the penalty for all of those sins, all the judgment that we rightly deserve. So to say God could actually and should actually judge both our body and our soul, to hear this judging God who's actually just in all of his ways, so just, nothing is going to be hidden and not revealed. He actually died in our place to pay the penalty for all of those things. And for all who place their faith in him, they don't have to face the judgment or the shame or the wrath that they rightly deserve. Some of you guys are driven by fear of your past. It shapes you in, in powerful ways. 
You're outrunning your mistakes. You're trying to hide who you really have been. You can't be in close relationships for fear that someone's going to ask you too many questions and expose something from your past. For those of you who feel afraid of judgment, here in the space that Jesus actually went all the way to the cross, the one who's teaching this text makes it possible for your soul to actually be saved. So there's a a fear of judgment. And Jesus says, don't be afraid of that. God's the kind of God who has mercy and actually rescues and saves. And, and then he says in verse 30, or in verse 29, he says, um, there's this fear of not being cared for, a fear of not being seen. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered, and just hold on all your jokes. Don't even go there. I know. I've had them all week in my head. I get it. It's fine. He goes from this fear. Can you just catch his logic? He goes from this fear of the body fear of body and soul. And then he says, hey, 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 doesn't God see the sparrows? And it's like the cheapest thing in the market. It just costs next to nothing, sold for simply a penny. And God is mindful of them. Something as small as the hairs on your head, even in that space, God is so mindful of you. He has them all numbered. So he says in verse 31, fear not. Are you not of more value than many sparrows? This fear of being unseen or being inadequate or not being cared for, or not being valuable, because you have to keep performing to be loved. Jesus is saying, hey, I know you're afraid that you don't matter, but if I care about the hairs on your head and I care about the smallest, cheapest bird, then surely I care about you and what you're facing in, in your singleness as a stay-at-home mom as you're starting your new business, as you're trying to figure out middle school and high school and what you're going to do next with college, as you're thinking about retirement, as you're facing the end of your life, as you're processing that diagnosis, in that space, the God who numbers your head hairs sees you and he loves you. So there's a fear of being alone. There's a fear of being out of control, facing injustices. There's a fear of physical pain, there's a fear of judgment, and there's a fear of not being seen or not being cared for or not being noticed. There's probably more of those, but those are a pretty helpful category. And Jesus' answer to those, again, is not just quit it and toughen up. It's actually let all those fears be reoriented around who I am and what I've done for you. Because the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord in some powerful and beautiful and even surprising ways. Oftentimes when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we live in such an anxious culture that it feels strange to say, be afraid of God. It's just so dissonant. We're, we're running from fear all the time. Every leadership book is about dealing with anxiety. Every parenting book is about processing your kid's anxiety. We're in a little pandemic for crying out loud. And so in that space, like it feels strange for a pastor to say, you should be afraid of God. But the Bible actually says it does something beautiful inside of us Because seeing God rightly for who he is recalibrates us. Seeing that he is the one who justly judges the world, that no sin goes unpunished, that he is actually white hot holy as he deals with people and humanity should reorient your affections and what your desires are. Seeing that he actually is a God of mercy who sees that that you're not alone, that actually draws close to you when you're afraid, that actually brings you into this tender place. And so the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord in this really beautiful, robust way to say it's part awe, it's part worship, it's part real fear. Like he could actually kill you. And if he killed you, he would be just to do that. And we're reading through the Old Testament right now, and there's some passages where you're like, dang, man, that dude was like doing something 
like way less than what I've done. And God just like, bam. And seeing that actually reorients our heart, not that God is an ogre who's out to club us, because that same God died on a cross in our place to make it possible for us not to face his wrath. And we're pulling together the beauty of who God is. And Jesus says that actually reorients us. There's a kind of fear and a marvel that the God really who spun everything into existence, who will burn it all down at the end, who by the word of his power creates worlds and ends them. That's the God you answer to. That's a God worth asking, what does he say about my life? What does he think about my sexuality? What does he think about my conflict? What does he want to do with my money? Why has he put me in this spot? Why these relationships? Why this situation? That God who holds it all together is the one who actually you stand before. And it's meant to buckle us. We see God appear in the Old Testament and people fall on their faces. They don't even like debate and check their calendars or have time to fall on my face. They just fall on their face. And we think about God being a God of love as if it canceled that out rather than partnered with it. You actually get to experience a God that's more revealed in his beauty to show you that he's as just as he's always been and he died in your place. He kept his promise to make a people who could be loved because he sacrificed for them. And you get to stand in a space where this white hot holy God loves you. And he made a way for you to be in relationship with him. And wouldn't that reorient how you thought about everything else? How you thought about your job and your future and your shame and being alone and whether or not things were fair in your life? As you relate to this kind of God, it radically shifts and changes you. So the Bible is not down on the fear of God. It actually wants to turn the volume up because it changes how you live and it reorients all your other fears. You're driven by fear, friends. I would guess everything you do has some sort of root in what you're afraid of that you're trying to avoid. Just think through what drives you, not even just compulsively, but what gets you out of bed in the morning. There's like a a good part of that and a shadow side of that that has some fear in it. What if you woke up in the morning, what was on your mind was the God of the universe who justly rules the entire world, who nothing goes unpunished, who actually is for you, He promises to be with you. He promises to care for you. He says that he sees you. He's with you in the middle of all the pain. What if that God was on your mind in the morning? Jesus is getting a group identity out to his followers and saying, hey, we're the kind of people that start with who God is, what he's done, what he's like, as we think about where we should go from here. Now, maybe you're not convinced. Like, maybe it feels really scary, but let me just take you through a couple of passages. Like Ecclesiastes, after He's explored everything there is to explore, every pleasure, every purchase, every experience. And he says all of it is worthless and it's vanity. He says the end of everything is this, to fear God and obey his commands. The dude tried everything, had unlimited resources. He did everything he wanted to do. All of it was empty. And he says, all right, I've done everything. It gets to the bottom of this thing. The only thing that matters is actually to fear God and then do what he says to do. Isaiah 11 says that even Jesus, the Messiah, is going to come into our world and is going to live in this space of a beautiful fear of the Lord. 
Let me just read it to you. This is Isaiah 11, 1 through 3. It's a prophecy about Jesus. Some of this will sound familiar. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Right? This is Jesus coming. We sing this at Christmas time. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord will rest on the Messiah. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Seeing this white hot holy God who holds all the world together stirs delight. Stirs delight. Not fear to pull away because this just God died in your place in ways that actually reorient everything about you. Psalm 86, there's this prayer that you would unite my heart to fear your name. Because my heart is so scattered, it's chasing all kinds of things. There's so many voices, there's so many things I'm afraid of. God, would you, would you pull me together, unite my fragmented heart so that I can fear your name and glorify you for forever. And he says in verse 13 of that passage, because of your steadfast love, it's great towards me and you've delivered my soul from judgment and shield. That this one who holds the universe together, that actually everyone fears and trembles when they encounter him. He's loving to you. He's gracious to you. He comes near to you. Psalm 112.1 says that we should fear and delight. It says, praise the Lord. Blesses the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. So it's not fear or delight, fear or pleasure, fear or love. It's because of that fear that there is a greater understanding of delight. It's a reorienting, recalibrating kind of love. In Psalm 145 we read this, the Lord is righteous in all of his ways and kind in all of his works. Right? He's just and holy. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and he saves them. He's not just out there running the cosmos. He's near to the hairs on your head and even paying attention to the small things of your life. He's there to preserve you, all those who love him, it says. There's this stunning beauty that the scriptures give us, right? And there's a couple of passages, but the whole testimony of the Bible would tell you what God is like. And he is terrifying. Not to be messed with. Not to casually be encountered and just see maybe today it works and if tomorrow something else better comes along. That's not the way the Bible tells you to encounter God. He made everything. You breathe because he wills it. You owe everything to him. And he gave everything for you. Died in your place to make a way for all the stuff that we did in rebellion to him to be covered, cared for, and forgiven. And there's this beauty that we see in the fear of the Lord that actually has an understanding of his grace. So Psalm 130 verse 4 says this, For with you there is forgiveness, there's grace, there's mercy, there's forgiveness that you may be feared. Even his Forgiveness is cause for us to bow and wonder, to stop in our tracks because we didn't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. It's so exhaustive. Even before you wanted him to, he paid the penalty for your sin. The Bible says when you were rebellious and an enemy, when you were dead in your sins, when you hated God, he died in your place. This one that the scriptures say to orient your life around is so loving that eternity won't give you time to understand the depths of his love. Not his holiness nor his love can you wrap your mind fully around. But sitting in both of those will radically change how you live. And it will reorient the rest of the fears that you experience. 
Jesus is calling us to see God for who he is. And I think even the way he names these fears start to put this composite sketch together. What is this God that you should fear? Is he just an ogre? Is he just angry? Is he just mad? Oh, no, no, he's with you when you're in times of crisis. So you're not alone. He's actually just, and everything that happens to you is going to be called into account. He's with you. There's a place where you don't have to fear being out of control. And there's lots of pain that you're going to face, but, but he's, he's Lord over that. And he's mindful of the small things in your life. And he made a way for your soul not to actually be destroyed in hell. Those five little spaces of fear, I think, kind of put some snapshots up for us of who God is so that as we move towards him, we know how to trust him. Hey, I think we'll spend the rest of our days wrestling with what it means to fear God, to hold together his holiness and his love. But the scriptures are going to say to us, as you understand who he really is, it changes you, it heals you, it recalibrates you, it reorients you, and it walks in a special space that actually changes the way that you live your life. It calls you onto a mission. It's, it's what gives you your identity. And so as we kind of think through this and go, what kind of God is this? He's the kind of God that on the cross holds perfectly together all of this justice and all of this mercy. The moment that it's most clear and most confounding is the very one that we offended and sinned against died in our place. Who does that? This is the God who does that. And he calls you into a relationship. He invites you to follow him. He involves you on his mission into the world to go and push back darkness for people that need to hear. Because people need to hear about a God like this who could actually rescue and save them. They are terrified. You are terrified. There are so many fears that we feel. What if this is where you started? And you started at the cross of Jesus. So the kind of fear stirred wonder and marvel. It did buckle you as you thought about what he's like and what he's done. But the taste of love was the primary thing in your mind that you saw the rest of it with. The cross of Jesus shows us that this all-powerful God is tender and he loves you and he's moving towards you, which is why we take communion every Sunday. We celebrate communion because this kind of God is easy to slip out of our minds, not because there's something wrong with him, but because something's wrong with us. Because we give ourselves to so many lesser, smaller fears, and so we come every week to be recalibrated, and as we take the bread in our hands, it's a reminder that this all-powerful God who created everything allowed his body to be broken. And this one who spun the world into existence actually shed his blood for your forgiveness, and you taste and are nourished by the realities of what Christ has done, holding together, again, on the cross, his perfect justice so that nothing goes unpunished and his perfect love, gracious to sinners like you and like me, so there's actually hope. It will change how you live. And Jesus says it's the essence of his mission. It's what we're actually sharing. It's why Messiah came, and it actually motivates his mission as well for us. And so I want to just invite us to to slow our hearts down take communion, and just to think about. I asked you at the beginning, what is it you're most afraid of? Would you just ask God to speak to that fear in light of who he is? And there's lots, so many things that we could say, but there's enough here in this moment for you to react to and respond to and to start to ask God to help you worship him. And if as I'm talking, you feel way more terror, would you hear the good news of the gospel for you that Christ died in your place to make a way for you to be forgiven and free? you're exploring Christianity, that's the offer of Christianity is that you would actually be forgiven and set free. So if you're not in that space yet where you're trusting Christ's sacrifice, would you pray and just stay in your seat? But, but as you're praying, remember who he is. Remember how he sees you. Remember what it means to have given a life and account to him. 
and maybe actually ask him to show his love to you in a way that would be compelling for you to begin to trust him. If you're not trusting Jesus, just stay in your seat. If you are trusting him, come and take communion with us. There'll be lines from the front. You'll take a piece of the bread. You'll dip it in the cup. There's a gluten-free station over here to my right, your left, and there's some of those little individual packs if that's more comfortable for you. As you take communion, though, hold in your hands reminders of what God is like and what he's done, and let that nourish you and reorient you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thanks for what you've done. Would you come now in power in this room? Speak to us. Would you increase our fear of you in, in the righteous, holy way that actually stirs delight and worship and satisfies us and helps us? Would you partner that with your love, your holiness, your justice, your goodness, your mindfulness? Thanks you didn't leave us alone. Speak now to our brothers and sisters, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, come when you're ready.